are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Well, it's a real honor for me to, to be here. Um, oh, good. Now I can see some of you. This is good. Um, I'm going to just, as I'm going to introduce, I'm going to ask um, Derek and Stephen, can you come up? And uh, what, uh, one of the things that I have really experienced and discovered over years is just the, the, uh, the importance of team, that uh, when we do things together uh, in a team and as a team, that uh, the Lord really honors that. He honors relationship. He honors team. And I love the team that, uh, that uh, is, is resurgence and comes together and, uh, at resurgence. And we're just at house of prayer uh, when we do things and we just pray on a daily basis. We have uh, multiple prayer meetings every day and, uh, and such. And so I just wanted uh, my friends Stephen and Derek to uh, just to come up because they're here with me. But there's others that I, I just grabbed those two guys. But, I mean, I just think of, of Dwayne. I think of Sherry. I think of Mark. Uh, I think of Greg and Juliana who are all in the room. And so I, but I'm just choosing these two guys. What I want, here's what I want to do is uh, I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for us and for the word, uh, for God to speak to us and for the Holy Spirit to uh, to really uh, to have freedom to move. And so I just believe tonight that uh, God's word is so living and so active and that he has something that he wants to say to us. Uh, and so can I get an amen? All right. So guys, just come on over here and don't be shy. Now, these guys are standing with us in the house of prayer on a daily basis. And, uh, and so uh, they're not superstars in prayer, but they are faithful men in prayer. And so uh, just you can offer a prayer for us and just God's word. Let's just open up our hands like we're receiving a gift from God and let's just posture, posture ourselves before him right now. Lord, we want all that you have for us tonight, God. Lord, we're, we're not here just for a meeting, God. We're not here just to, for the sake of another meeting, God. We want to meet with the living God. We want to come closer to your throne than we've ever come before, God. We want to encounter you. So, Lord, we, we open ourselves up to you tonight, God. Tonight, God, we say we open ourselves up to you, God. We say we want to we wanna encounter you tonight, God. God, we don't want to just hear another sermon about you, God. God, we want to we be undone by you, God. And so, Lord, just even as the, the word is released tonight, God, we pray, God, that it wouldn't just be another word, God. God, that it would shift everything in our lives, God, we, that, it would in, that we would encounter the man behind the pages, God. Father, we want to encounter your son tonight, God, and we want to be overwhelmed by the person of Christ tonight, God. Let something fall in this place right now, Lord, we pray. Let something of the presence of the Lord fall in this place right now. Sometimes when you check into a hotel room, they, t they say, oh, and this is the password for your Wi-Fi. And then you go up to your room and you realize, oh, I forgot it. Then you have to phone back down to the main desk and find out what the password is. So now, just, just in your spirit, 
Just let that password come up. Just put that into your spirit for that connection with God. It's not whether he's here or not here. You couldn't keep him out of this place. It's whether we are aware that he's here or not. So just let that connection come up inside of you. Lord, we just stir ourselves up for that connection. We just we just put that password in, Lord, for that connection. Come, Holy Spirit. Come from your side. We come from our side. You come from your side, Lord. We want that connection right now, Lord. Amen. 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 Borrow the stool. Um, if you're a Bible-following person, uh, you can John 13 to 13 to 16 is kind of where I'm going to be. So you can just sort of open up to that. Uh, I know that's a lot of chapters. We won't really cover them all in any kind of major league detail, but uh, that's just the that's the zone that I'm or the area that I'm going to be focusing in on. Uh, if you can imagine with me, uh, or try to imagine, what it would be like to be one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, you're living a fairly ordinary life. You're coming, you're going, uh, you may have a family, you probably have a job, there's things that you do on a regular basis, there's friends that you spend time with on a regular basis. Uh, life is just sort of coming and going and it's happening. And then all of a sudden you encounter, one day you encounter a man and his name is Jesus. And you haven't met him before and you don't know who he is, but all of a sudden there's something about him. There's a presence about the man and you are inextricably drawn to respond to his invitation to follow him. You don't really understand why. He just says, you know, come and follow me. You, you felt something stirring in your spirit. You felt something uh, that you hadn't felt before. You just all of a sudden, you're like, okay, let's do this. And, all, and, and you, maybe you don't even consciously think about it. You're just all of a sudden, you're down the road. And that's what happened to real, a real group of men that Jesus, that Jesus went and he called them. And he invited them to follow. And, it, and the scriptures, you know, in more than one place says that they rose and left everything behind and began to follow Jesus. I mean, this is, this is real life stuff. Like, I surrender. This is, I give everything. I'm going to rise and follow Jesus. And then for the next three years of your life, you're, everything is completely different. You are literally, you're not going to a conference. You're not hearing Jesus as the special speaker. You're walking with him on the road. You're eating every meal with him, sleeping near him at night, getting up in the morning, getting self-ready, you're going around and you hear the most incredible teachings that you have ever heard in your life. You begin to witness on a regular basis uh, the kinds of miracles and signs and wonders that you didn't even know existed. Blind eyes are being opened, lame people are standing up and walking, dead are being raised. It's just the most incredible thing. And you begin to think to yourself, this has to be the promised Messiah. This, this, he has to be. Jesus must be the promised Messiah who is going to come. Who you, you've, because you know you've, you're the disciples. You've uh, grown up hearing about 
the, the Messiah. You know the promises of the Messiah that's coming. You know that he's going to redeem and, and save Israel uh, and restore the nation to its former glory. And yet in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this, the disciples are also mystified and confused. Because just when the crowds are getting really, really intense and they're, getting, they're growing in, in, in a city and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's meetings and he's praying and, and he's teaching people and, and there's lots of response. The response is growing. And just at that moment, then all of a sudden Jesus says, well, we're going to actually leave and go to another city. Or then there's the times when Jesus is gathering and people are really, really responding uh, they're getting very excited about Jesus. The, the many multitudes are responding to, to the message and the teaching that he has. Uh, and then Jesus says something that's super, super inflammatory. It's almost as if he's intentionally trying to offend the people that he's talking to. Like, you know, drink my blood and eat my flesh. That'd be a really great example. And people are, you know, the scriptures say from that time, large numbers of people were like, nope, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not following this anymore. And then, of course, on top of all of that, there's these parables that Jesus keeps telling. And more often than not, you're sitting there and you're scratching your head going, I don't get that. I have no idea what that meant. There was a tree and then there was something else. And then I don't know whether I'm this or whether I'm, I don't know how to find myself in this. So you have this three-year thing going, and you're, you're going on, and, and, but, but your hope is, is made alive. And then all of a sudden, towards the end of three years, Jesus begins to shift, and he's talking in, in a little bit of a different way, and he becomes more and more focused on the idea of his own suffering and his own death which is really confusing because by this point, you're convinced that this is the Messiah. You are convinced that this is the person that has been promised for millennia and that was going, that's going to come and save, and, and save the people. So this is what it's like. And so what the disciples, this is what's going on. And the disciples, what they don't grasp at this point is that Jesus knew what they didn't know, that the time was coming very soon when he was going to go to the cross when he was going to die and he was going to be buried and he would be raised again and that he would return. He would return to God the Father. Uh, Jesus knows that this is an extraordinary change. And so Jesus actually begins to prepare the disciples. I mean, wouldn't that be a good idea if you knew that this was going to happen? All of a sudden, Jesus, he knows this. And so he begins to teach them very, very intentionally. Because he knows that the three years, he knows that this time is, is coming and there's a huge, huge change. Basically, this is preparation for the disciples to be sent out. You know, there's, you talk about scattered saints. Jesus is about to scatter the 12. He is about to send, the, send them out. And they need some preparation. I mean, the three years has been preparation for sure. But there's something... You have to, I, the reason that I'm focused on this is that I want us to enter into the reality of, of the, the intensity of what Jesus is feeling. And, you know, and, and the Holy Spirit needs to really uh, you know, convey that to us. But these are his closest friends. Every day, morning, noon, and night, traveling all over, laughing together, probably crying together. These are his closest friends. And he knows that he's going to be leaving them. 
This is extremely challenging for Jesus. That's why when it comes to the Passover, the, la- the Lord's the Last Supper, it, Jesus said to them, he said, I have eagerly, I've longed to eat this with you. I've longed for this because you are my closest. You know, no longer do I call you servants, I call you my friends. Because he knows that he's preparing them to, to be sent out. Uh, now, the reason that, uh, what, what happens is, is that in the scriptures, of all, of, the, of all four gospels, John, John records a major chunk of this preparation of what Jesus said. So you're, maybe you're, I hope, maybe you're wondering, well, what did Jesus say? What did he do to prepare the disciples for his leaving? Well, John decides that he's going to give us some of those details. There's this big chunk in John 13, 14, 15, and 16 that's referred to as the farewell discourse. It's the farewell discourse because it's like the last teachings that Jesus gives. So what's happening in context is you've got Jesus and he's celebrating the Passover with the disciples. It's the last supper, okay? And then what only John lets us in on is the fact that there's a lot, there's a big chunk of teaching that Jesus gives to the disciples. He's the only one that records it. And it's a profound group. I, I absolutely have not, I mean, for, I, I, I don't know, at least a couple of months, I, I can't get out of this passage. Uh, I just keep going back to it, and I keep staring at it, and I keep looking at it, and there's just, and I just, God keeps meeting me in it, and, and just, you know, showing me a lot of things. Uh, at least I feel like he, he really has. And there's, some of what, and as I began to pray and, and stuff, and when Travis asked me, he, he asked me if I would, would speak, and I was like, yeah, I'd, be, I'd totally be honored. And uh, so I have the real, I have the huge blessing of spending every day in a prayer room. And so it's just, it's simply the best place for message prep ever is going to a prayer room. And so if any of you, you know, <laughs> You just go to a prayer room, get into a prayer meeting, just sit there with the Lord. I mean, just, it's, a, it's anointed, it's great, it's fantastic. Anyways, there's a few, uh, what I want to focus on tonight, just for a few minutes, is I want to look at some of the realities of life that Jesus specifically addresses in these chapters. So we're not going to go through it, you know, chapter and verse. I'm going to, hit, I'm going to highlight a few things that are in these, in these chapters uh, that I think really pertain. Why do I think that this is important? Why do I believe that the Lord would highlight this for us tonight? Because as Travis and others have said already, um, we are the scattered ones. We are the ones who are being sent out. I've had, the last two weeks, I've had interesting convers two interesting conversations. Well, I've had more than that, but two that are highlighted to me. Um, where, where somebody comes and, they, and, they, and they're talking to me and they say, oh, I've been, Jim, I'm just, you know, I'm really, I'm just waiting for that time. I don't know when it's going to come, but I'm just waiting for the time when God's going to get me into ministry. And I know what they mean. And so I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be, you know, but I, what, what in both cases, I was like, you are in ministry. You are in ministry. And I, I know what they mean. And so I'm, I'm, I'm being, uh, you know, understanding and, and a good listener. But really, because both of them were like, oh, yeah, it just happened the other day. I was on White Avenue, and I, I met a guy that I hadn't seen in uh, 15 years. On the, you know, We were just you know, on the art walk on White Ave, and he's talking to me. I said, how you been? He's like, man, I'm still waiting to get in a minute, you know, to break in for God to open the door into ministry. 
And I'm like, dude, you got a job. You got like every day. You don't need to wait for, for something like this. And that's, that's the message that, that I think is so significant that I feel has been highlighted, you know, through, you know, through the months here at Resurgence. Uh, because it's really the Lord's heart for his church. But there's, there's, so Jesus is about to send out his disciples. And he, he addresses certain realities of life that, that I just want to, I just want to hit three of them. The first one, I'm going to just entitle a weird word. It actually is a word. I looked it up and it's the word perplexity. It's the state of being perplexed. Yeah, it's real. I'm not making it up. You could probably use it in Scrabble. But anyways, I don't know if anybody plays Scrabble anymore. But anyways, that's another side. That's, that's off topic. So Jesus comes and he, he begins to, he's talking with them. They have the Lord's, they had the Last Supper. I always call it the Lord's Supper. The Last Supper, Passover. And, be, and Jesus is teaching them. And in John 13, verse 36 to 14, 22, that what happens is, is that he, that he starts saying, I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm not going to be with you for very much longer. And so what happens is, is that the disciples are, they're perplexed. They're honestly confused. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And they begin to ask him questions. They begin to sort of, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, he's, he's asking the question saying, or Peter says, well, where are you going? I want to follow you too. And Jesus says, you don't quite understand. Are you, you know, you really, are you really going to follow me and, and all that? Uh, but then, so he kind of answers, but then he kind of doesn't. It's one of those ones where he left Peter really confused. So he was confused. He asked a question and then he ended up being more confused. Then Philip comes up and he's like, hey, let me try. I'm going to, let me ask. I kind of have this fun interaction in my mind where I imagine the disciples talking to one another saying, did you understand that? No, I didn't understand that. I'll try. And, and so, you know, then Philip tries and he asks a question. And then, and then Thomas asks a question because that one didn't work. So Thomas comes up and says, okay, why don't I take a crack at it? And so he asks a different question. Uh, and then Judas, and then the scriptures, of course, say not Judas Iscariot. So he asks another question. Uh, and so they're just totally confused, but they just keep coming up to him and saying, hey, what's go- what, is, what is going on? Uh, and Jesus, you know, he, he comes and he, he says this. Uh, li- listen to what he says. You have heard me say, I am going away, and I am com- but I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. That's in John 14. So this is a very interesting point, is that Jesus comes, and he doesn't want there to be, you're going to, this is a theme I want to develop. Jesus is preparing them, and he doesn't want them to be surprised. So over and over again, he says, hey guys, I'm going to tell you this now, so that when it happens, you're going to actually understand, and you'll believe. It's like Jesus sort of said, you're not going to get this now, but you will soon enough. Uh, Here's the reality that I think every one of us can relate to. There's just simply times when life does not make sense. There are times in every one of our lives where we don't understand what's going on. We just can't make sense of it. Why did this happen? Why hasn't something else happened? Maybe you're, you're at a place, even tonight, where you're like, I thought that... I thought we, I, we were going in this direction. I thought life was tracking in this direction. Things seemed good, but then all of a sudden, whoop, we're over here. You know, and this is just the way that life happens. A lot of times, we are perplexed. 
we are confused. We just simply do not understand it. And the same is the way this was normal life with the disciples. Now, the problem that I, the, the thing that I run into is that a lot of times Christians, when we're perplexed and confused, we end up thinking, or give, we give the enemy sort of room, room to wiggle in our minds, convincing us that actually we're the ones that are messed up. And really, if we understood anything, if we were only mature, then we would understand what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. And a mature, a mature Christian is not going to be confused because they'll know what God wants. And I just, I, I really felt like if you're in the place where you're confused, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're messed, that you're, it's your fault. Sometimes you're just confused. And sometimes God lead, allows us to be confused. And so Jesus makes this, here's the other thing. In every one of the realities that Jesus addresses with the disciples and us, he speaks of particular promise as well. So where there's, where there's a reality of life that Jesus wants to address in us, there's a corresponding promise that he wants to give to us. Okay? So the promise that Jesus makes in this whole discussion with the disciples, because he knows that they're confused. He knows that they don't understand what's happening. And, you know, Jesus isn't weirded out by it. He's not frustrated. But he comes and he makes this powerful promise in response to the fact that they're confused. He says, Guys, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's John 14, 18. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What does this mean? It means that we are not abandoned. It means that we are not abandoned. This is a profound thing for us. You say, well, of course, I know Jesus is with me. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. I want it. But no, in your spirit, God is, believe it. Walk with it, the assurance that God is with you, that he, you are not abandoned. God has not walked away from you. He has not kicked you off the back of the turnip truck. He has not given up on you. And the enemy constantly comes to us with these lies. You've done too much. You've screwed up one too many times. God's not with you. And I, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because we'd all have to put our hands up. We all know what this lie is. We've all heard it. He just says it over and over and over again. He convinces you that you're abandoned. He convinces you that you're alone. And so, I mean, of all the people that would be uh, like Jesus is about, to, he knows that he's about to be nailed to a cross. They're all going to watch him be nailed to a cross uh, and die. And he says, to, so he assures them. He says, there's, well, there's two things. There's two aspects. When he says that he, you are not abandoned, behold, I will come to you. Uh, there's, well, there's two aspects of it. One is there's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because in this whole uh, farewell discourse, I just like using that term, the farewell discourse, makes me sound smart, uh, is really what's going is, is It's about Jesus saying the Holy Spirit. Guys, I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand who he is and what he's like. I want you to understand and, and, and that he's coming. And he said, if I go, it's, it's better that I go, guys. It's better that I go. Because if I go, then the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit, oh, the, I mean, you just imagine Jesus, oh, the Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> communing. I mean, if anybody's communed with the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. But he's the promise of the Spirit coming. But the second dimension of it is he says, I'm not abandoning you. I will come to you. So he speaks first of the promise of the Spirit, but also the promise of his own return. So there's this reality of life that we are, life sometimes makes no sense. 
There's another dimension of it that Jesus is preparing them for, and he is preparing us. And this one's not very much, if, if nobody likes being confused, but the second one is persecution. Uh, Jesus is preparing the disciples for the inevitable opposition that they're going to face. I mean, listen to this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So Jesus is very bluntly saying to the disciples, you are going to be sent out and not everything is going to be a bed of roses. Is there anybody in the room who is like me and is a people pleaser? Really? There's n- you guys are a bold group. There's hardly any people pleasers here. I think half of you are and you didn't, you didn't want to offend anybody. So you just put up your hand. You just kept your hand down. Jesus basically, he says, he says uh, again, he doesn't want them to be surprised. So again, he's, he's selling, he's, he says this, I have told you this, you're going to be persecuted. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. <laughs> really? Wow. It's over and over again. Jesus says, he says something and he says, see, I'm actually telling you this now so that when it happens, you will actually understand. Persecution, and you say, well, persecution. Now, I used to, maybe you're like me, I used to sort of look at this verse and say, well, I'm, I live in Canada, and uh, I definitely am not really, I can't really think of any kind of persecution that's going on in my life. Uh, nobody's trying to kill me. Uh, you know, I mean, not everybody thinks I'm awesome, but that's okay. It's not really the same, and all that kind of thing. And so I used to sort of look at that, or, or in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew, when Jesus, he says, you know, blessed are you when they persecute you, uh, for you're going to be called sons of God. Like, whoa, I was like, okay, you know, rejoice. I don't know about all that rejoicing thing. But again, Jesus prepares them for the reality that, that, that this is going to happen. Here's the thing. Reality is this. Sometimes despite our best efforts and our best intentions, people are going to, ex- people are going to get upset with us. And we will even experience relational conflict, particularly when we are wanting and seeking to follow Jesus with all of our heart. Not everybody's going to be happy with this. Now, now I have my own little twist on this that I think is accurate from just my years of experience. Most of the persecution that most of us are going to face, particularly here in the West, is actually from within the church, not outside the church. Just other believers, they just get mad. Of all the people that have gotten mad at me and really don't care for me, they're all Christians. So, like, when you, seriously, when you draw a a line in the sand and when you decide that you're really going to start doing things differently, when you're going to start taking Jesus seriously, when you want to, you know, really, from from the heart, say, I surrender. Lord, all that I have is yours. You know, when it moves from being, you know, a fridge magnet to something that we're actually trying to do. People will not be happy with you. They will not be happy with you. It's just, it's the, it's the, it's the honest truth. And that's just on it. That's, that's one of the things that you have to come to terms with because the reality is that 
we may not be persecuted in the sense of like, okay, I'm not being, I'm not being persecuted like the Apostle Paul. But there is relational strife, there's relational issues that really bother us. That for, I'm, for real, for sure, we just don't deal well with it. And there's times when we're just lying awake and we're, what are we going to do? How are we going to reconcile with this person? Why is this person upset? And everything. And then, and then we begin to change the way that we live on all of this. So Jesus comes and he says, and he knows that they're really, there's some, some intense persecution that's coming to them. But just again, I want us to dial into it with you and me. If we want to live fully, fully, devoted to Jesus Christ. We want to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we, as we purpose to do that, people will just get upset inside the church and outside the church. It's just, it's, it's the inevitable reality. But Jesus comes and he gives the disciples and he gives us this powerful, powerful corresponding uh, promise. He says this again, again, it's, it, every one of them, he makes these promise or a, a significant promise. He says this, but I have chosen you out of the world. It means this. We are chosen by God, not rejected. And so many of us know what it is to feel rejected by the people that we love, by the people that we care about, by the people that we want to love. You know, like all this, and we know what it is. And the enemy plagues us with these feelings of being rejected. Well, so-and-so doesn't like me. My pastor doesn't like me. You know, or so-and-so doesn't like me, the guy that, whatever, whatever it is. This is the thing. And Jesus comes, we, we have this, con, this, this almost this complex that we've been rejected. And I, I, again, I know that there's a group of, there's a, a number of people in a, in a crowd this size, it's just a, a statistical guarantee. <laughs> that there's people that you feel rejected today and you're wrestling with that. And Jesus comes to you and he says, I have chosen you. And I believe that's true tonight. Every one of us in this place, God has chosen you. He has called you by name. He knows who you are. He wants you to come to him. He has chosen you. You can say, well, I'd love to be one of the the 12 disciples, but I'm not one of the 12 disciples. I'm just lowly old Jim. You know, that's the way that I would, that's the way, ask my wife, she's over there, she'll tell you, that's the way I, you know, woe is me, get the Eeyore thing happening. You know, ho-hum. And here's the reality. Every one of us has been chosen by Jesus. You have been chosen. You say, well, I can't. I'm not like John Mark. You know, like he's awesome. Oh, the Apostle Paul. And, you know, Andrew. Or, you know, this kind of thing. No, you. You have been chosen by name. You have been chosen. You have been called. And Jesus says this to you. But I have chosen you. You are not rejected. Then there's another thing that Jesus sort of looks at and he, he really, you know, dials into. And he, and he really summarizes it in, in the whole of reality. It just makes it so blunt. He says, he spells out this third reality. The disciples are simply going to face problems. Goody, this is a great ending to the farewell discourse. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. Peace in this world. Get this. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you are going to have problems. But take heart, for I have overcome the world.
So there's this, again, there's this preparation that Jesus makes. And this is, to me, important because I run into this, I I bump into this stuff all the time, uh, where we have this idea. We have somewhere along the line, we had this, we, we were, we got this idea into our brains that if I'm following Jesus, everything's going to work out. It's just simply not in the Bible. You know? I mean, we just have this idea that we're just, once we're following Jesus and I'm, a, I'm, I'm going for it, I'm on top and rising. You know, it's just going to get better and better. And the, and the reality is, is that on the one hand, I understand what that, I understand what that means. On the other hand, it's just simply not in the Bible. You're going to have problems. But, Jesus says, I want you to have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And and just so many people going, I just, I'm such a loser because I just, things aren't working out or I, I must not have enough faith because there's sickness in my family or there's, it's just, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I must not have enough faith because, you know, I don't, I, I didn't get the job or I, or here's another one. This is another one, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because it's a younger crowd. Uh, you're single, you wish you weren't, and you think you're a loser. You're not. I know that there's a group of people in here, there's certain people in here that would love to be, they would love to meet somebody. They'd love to be in a relationship. They'd love to be married. That doesn't, and I'm not here to say, you're all going to get married and meet the dream of your life, anything like that. But the, I mean, wouldn't, that would be weird. If I said that, <laughs> but sometimes things just don't work out. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Jesus says, I want you to have peace even when there are problems. I want you to have an inner peace and I want you to walk in peace. I want you to be confident. And he says this, he says, but, but, there's that great word, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has, op- has, has gone before us and because Jesus has, has overcome the world, because he is, he is def- through the cross, through the cross, he, he defeated sin. He defeated the devil. It doesn't mean that everything works out, but it means that in the midst of it, we walk in a very different way. We carry the reward on the inside. We live in a different way. There's something that God has for us, and we, we walk in this way, and we don't get, we don't get confused. And, and uh, Well, we don't we get, I, said, I did say we get confused at times. But we don't get thrown off as much when things are not going the way that we expected them to. This is really important. I, I know too many people over the years, I've met too many people whose faith ends up going sideways because they had unrealistic and frankly uh, not entirely biblically grounded expe- expectations that everything was going to get, you know, they were going to be on top and rising and everything was going to be awesome and they're going to be, you know, everything. And, and then when things didn't, they're like, whoa, what happened? Where'd God go? And, and there are, there's pain and there's real times when we're like, oh, God, I don't know where you are. And, and again, it's not, it's not about those times not happening, but it's in the midst of it. God has made us these, Jesus, God, as Jesus, has spoken these promises. He has spoken these promises. 
So what does it mean when Jesus makes this promise that I have overcome the world? It means this, we are not hopeless. We are not in a hopeless situation. Your life is not hopeless. And we come, and I just like boldly just say no to that lie of the enemy that says it's just, it's hopeless. Sometimes we have that phrase going on. We say, oh, it's just hopeless. I will, you know, I'll never, this will never happen. I'll never get this. I'll never, that won't happen. Uh, you know, or I'll never meet anybody or whatever, whatever it is. I won't get that job or anything. Nobody notices me. I'll never have any friends and all this kind of thing. And it's just, it's not hopeless. The enemy constantly wants to do it. If you have had a refrain in your head today or this week that where you have said that, where you've said, oh, it's, you've, or you felt it, you've just felt it to say, it's just hopeless. I just can't. That's the devil. That's not truth. You are not hopeless. Your situation is not hopeless. The reality is this. That through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can over be, we can be overflowing with hope. Okay. So this is exactly what the apostle Paul, uh, declared. Uh, I wanted, before I read that verse, I'm just going to say, think about, think about Paul's life. I want you to think about the apostle Paul's life. Here he is. He's, I mean, if anybody was on top and rising, it's Paul or back when he was Saul. So before he got, had the, the, the encounter with Jesus on Damascus Road, I mean, he's, he, is, he is the guy. Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the guy. Then he experience, he comes, he, he, meets, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden things get weird. I mean, they get really, really intense. His whole world is turned upside down. I mean, Jesus at, at his call, can you imagine this? You think, oh, I'd like to be the Apostle Paul. Don't, add, don't say that you want to be the Apostle Paul. You know what Jesus said to him? He actually said this to Ananias. He, he goes, I am going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. Like, ooh, that's the fine print. I didn't read that before. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. But that's what Jesus actually said to, uh, about Paul's life. You know, so think about Paul's life. Paul's planning on going to preach in the province of Asia. But the, the Bible says that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go. Yeah, I think that's perplexing to Paul. I, I think it didn't make sense. What do you mean? I mean, I, I, I honestly, I don't really know what it means that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go. And we can have a discussion about that for several hours, but we won't. But the bottom line for me is that I think there's, there's times in Paul's life when he was perplexed. He ended up going to Macedonia. There was a time when all through his life, Paul's definitely persecuted. He's arrested, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's stoned, he's put in prison, he's ultimately martyred for following Jesus wholeheartedly. Okay, so most of that isn't going to happen to all of us. Paul had all sorts of problems. I mean, you think everything worked well for, for the Apostle Paul? No. He had like a major falling out. Hopefully, I don't think Paul was a people pleaser, but I mean, he ended up with a major disagreement with Barnabas. Uh, there's times he said that he, there's times when he was hungry, he didn't have enough money, he didn't have the resources that he needed. He had all of these things. And in the midst of it, here's what Paul writes. In the midst of it, he says in Romans 15, verse 3, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
me just read that again. It's honestly one of my favorite verses, like, period. It's also because it's in the form of a prayer. I love it even more. But may, may the God of hope fill you with joy. May he fill you with peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Here's what God, I felt strongly God impressed to me this week when I was thinking about this verse. This isn't just a doctrine. This isn't just a sort of a, a, a truth that, that Paul, this is his experience. This is what Paul, Paul wrote that, I believe, I believe it because I just like, that's, he wrote his experience. He wrote his experience. He experienced, he said, the God of all hope, the God of all hope, may he fill you with all joy and peace. Why? Because that's what Paul walked in. He walked in it. Jesus said, I want you to have peace. I'm going to, you know, behold, don't worry. I've overcome the world. So he's promising peace to the disciples. And Paul, disciple later on, fully a disciple, ends up experiencing this. He experienced the peace of God. I mean, he, he wrote, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and petition. Let your, you know, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Great, works great on the fridge magnet or on the bumper sticker. However, like, can you imagine that's what Paul experienced? He actually lived that out? That's incredible. Anxious for nothing. That's why, and how do I know that he was hungry and he didn't have resources and he didn't have money? Because he said he didn't. He said, I know what it's like. I, I know what it's like to be in want. I know what it's like to, to have plenty. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to not have a, you know, a roof over your head, all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of it, he's, he, there's peace on the inside. Why? Is that a va- an empty promise? No, it's an actual experience that the apostle walked in. Overflowing with hope by the power of the Spirit. Now, check this out. I just was like, whoa, this is so good when, when Karis was, was singing this, or when you guys were singing this chorus that we, of, the, of the last song. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. This, that, that one chorus flipped the whole deal for me because I'm, I'm like overflowing with hope. That's overflowing with Jesus. You're overflowing with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh my goodness. It just like opened up to me. And I'm imagining Paul the Apostle walking around overflowing with Jesus. Like mind blown for me anyways. Like that's incredible. Here he is. He's living that way. So when he says, you know, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. He's actually referring to, he said, God, guys, I'm praying that you experience what I've experienced. That prayer in Romans 15 flowed out of his experience. And that is just really rearranging my head these days. In recap, uh, we're not abandoned, we're not rejected, and we're not hopeless. And this is the truth of God's word. It is the truth of Jesus. It, these are some of the major promises that Jesus gave to his disciples as he's preparing to send them out. And tonight, I fir- firmly believe that this is, this is the word of the Lord for us tonight. And the question is, will we receive it? You know, uh, 
Derek is fantastic at, at communicating truth through story and illust- through illustration. And the Wi-Fi illustration, you know, will we receive it? Will we open ourselves up? There's something that God wants to touch in every one of us right tonight. There really is. There's something that God wants to touch in every one of us. I don't know what it is for each person, but there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to just highlight. He's going to highlight it. It's, it's, maybe it's something that's happened this week. Maybe it's something that last month. Maybe there's a lie that the enemy that you can identify with, and that's and the, and and the enemy's just been just banging on you about this one issue. But I firmly believe God is with us. God has chosen us, and Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome. He has opened up the way. And this is, to me, this profound reality of the, of the fact that Jesus took his closest friends and he pulled them aside. He ate the Passover with them, a meal that he had earnestly desired to, to, to celebrate with them. And then he said, guys, come, I need to say some things to you. And he gives them these promises. And these are the promises that I proclaim to you. These are the promises that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch you with tonight and reignite you with. So I'm just going to invite Karis, we want to come, uh, any group to come. Uh, we want to respond. Uh, part of the way that we want to, to do that is just to, just to respond to, to God through praying for people. I know there's uh, some, some prayer ministry people that are here that are really uh, just believing uh, in, uh, I love the fact that in pre-service prayer, the prayer ministry team gets prayed for. Like, that's awesome to me. And, uh, and so, it, because the Lord wants to encounter you tonight. The Lord actually wants to speak something into your spirit. So I'm just going to, I'm going to invite us to stand, if I can. So I'm going to just, kind of pray and I'll invite us to be, you don't, I'm going to invite some of you to, if you feel stirred and you'd like prayer, uh, if you just like to respond to the Lord, uh, you know, it's a foundational truth that God does more when we pray for each other, uh, when the church prays for the church. And so we just want to respond in faith. It's also a step of faith. It's also like I say, yeah, I'm going to, God, I want this. You're just saying, yeah, God, I want, I want this. I want to respond to this. I need to respond to this. I need, I need the Lord to touch me tonight. Uh, but you know, you know, you don't absolutely, you know, God will touch all of us. I believe that really, but God will touch all of us. Uh, I'm really feeling fairly obviously I've, I came in with this. There, there, many of us would be perplexed, weighed down, uh, confused uh, by the problems, the issues. Uh, maybe it doesn't have to be a huge issue. Maybe it's just a small thing that's niggling at you. Uh, but I believe tonight that we want to pray. I want to pray for people. Uh, to experience what Paul experienced, the living hope of Jesus, the living hope of Jesus within. I believe that the prayer that, that Paul prayed, that we could overflow with hope. I believe that that's real. I believe that that is possible. And that is, that is God's intent. That does not mean that everything is going to be perfect. What it means is that you are... He's with you in the midst of it all, and everything changes by his presence. If he walks with you, you can walk through anything. You can walk through anything. It doesn't mean it all going to go away. 
like that. That's not, that's almost too simplistic. It would be awesome if that was the case, but that's not. But we can walk in a different way. We can walk with with a different, with a vibrancy, with hope on the inside. So let me pray for you and just, again, invite the team to, you know, you can begin to play and, and, uh, and again, let's just make this natural, like whatever, whenever, as you're just feeling that, you can come up to the front and there's some awesome people that are going to pray and pray with you and for you. So Lord, we just present ourselves to you. We just come and we, Lord, we thank you for your promise. Lord, we sang it earlier, you know, your promise still stands. And when we sang that earlier tonight, Lord, I, I knew what I was wanting to share. And I just said, yes, Lord, your promises do stand. We just say, Lord, as a people tonight, your promise is is true. Your promises, they still stand. We agree, Jesus, that you are our hope. You are our hope. And we lean into you, Lord. Lord, as much as we would love to have everything perfect and lined up in our lives, as much as we tonight might want every problem to go away. Lord, it's it's better that you're with us. It's better, Holy Spirit, that you come. It's better that you teach us to walk with you. It's better that you teach us to walk through and under pressure and in the midst of pressure. Oh, God, would you do that? Would you teach us? Would you teach us how to walk with you? Would you give to us the confidence that we're not abandoned? Would you break off the lies of the enemy tonight that we're that says that says that we're we've been rejected, that we're abandoned, that we're no good, that it's hopeless? Lord, would you break the power of those lies tonight? And would you cause hope to begin stirred up, Lord, Holy Spirit? We're not trying to froth something up. We're inviting a real person. Holy Spirit, we're inviting you. You're here in the room. We're inviting you to come and to awaken something in us called living hope. The presence of Jesus. So if you'd like prayer, I just want to invite you to the team begins. Whatever. Just come on up to the front. You can just you can kneel where you are. Just come and respond to the Lord, however He's teaching, whatever He's highlighting to you. He wants to touch you tonight. You are chosen. You are chosen tonight. I just want to invite you to come. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.